And if yeah, not, yeah, I think he did of... before any of the stuff came out. Oh, uh, so he, he had to retire early too because he got glaucoma. So yeah, oh. I know. I remember watching that like speech and crying and like. <laughs> oh, oh, also, Rick. did you have a pet name, Kirby? Because we did. Everybody did. <laughs> I did not actually. Somehow, um, but yeah, that that's not surprising. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Hildman. On this week's episode, drug-related deaths at Angola prompted strip searches, but who is bringing in contraband? Data points to someone other than inmates and visitors as the source of illicit drugs inside the maximum security prison. And the NOLA Public Schools District is proposing a third and more severe tier of warnings that it could issue to charter schools. Those stories, insight, and analysis coming up on Behind the Lens. Joining us this week, our brand new reporter, Katie Rechtal. Hi, Katie. Hey, how are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for being here. Criminal justice reporter, Nick Crastle. Hey, Nick. Hey, Carolyn. And education reporter, Marta Jusen. Hi, Marta. Hey, Carolyn. Katie, first let me welcome you to Behind the Lens. You were a staff reporter at Times-Picayune and The Gambit before you became a freelancer. You wrote frequently for the New Orleans Advocate, Times-Picayune, also the New York Times, the Washington Post, but you joined us and we're so lucky. What are you looking forward to covering at The Lens? Man, you know, um, I'm not very good at beat fidelities. You know, ever since I started freelancing, I, I just had to sort of take whatever story got thrown my way or whatever story would interest an editor. So I, and I was a GA, a general assignment reporter at the time, picking it too. So I think I, I might be a little bit all over the map. I just talked to Brett, the new editor, of course, about um, a few stories today. And one is criminal justice and one is um, tuba related in the instrument. So, um, <laughs> you know, all over the map, I yeah. think you'd say. From prisons to tuba, I would say. Well, good. Yeah. Thank you. And welcome to Behind the Lens. We're so glad that you're here. Um, let's talk about a story you wrote for us a couple of weeks ago. Data gathered through public records reveals that contraband was continuously brought into Angola between 2019 and 2022. There was interestingly no slowdown during the full year of COVID-19 during the lockdown when visitation was restricted. This data leads to a strong inference that visitors are not the source of contraband. Give us some background on what goes on in Angola as far as contraband, what types, how much is found, what trends there are. So a contraband um, searches are fairly common. And often, you know, if I'm talking to somebody, they'll say, oh, they're looking for tablets or they're looking for cell phones or they're, they're cracking down on a certain thing. So that's not unusual, right? That, and so... Um, what can be seized as contraband? Um, cell phones are increasing in, in popularity. Um, and also, they can have tablets, but they're not supposed to be wired to the internet, hmm. where they can have free, like where they can go straight to the internet. So, some um, inmates are, have been really good at being able to break that, that um, barrier. And so if a tablet has internet access, that's also con considered contraband, even though the tablet itself wouldn't be, right? So um, phones, tablets, um, you can't have cigarettes there. Hmm. You can have chewing tobacco. They used to have cigarettes that used to be the common currency at every, in every prison movie, right? right. But um, it's not anymore. It's, 
you can't have it. And so they, there's chewing tobacco that is that if people want nicotine, that that's their way to get nicotine. But also one of the things that becomes contraband is if somebody dries something and it, it becomes smokable, it's contraband. Mm. So that chewing tobacco or the bay leaves from the kitchen or whatever they're finding, that can be contraband. And also if you save your fruit in a jar, I don't know if your grandma ever did this, but my grandma used to have this jar with, I don't even, I don't even know if we ever drank that thing, but it was like kind of trendy when I was a kid. Do you remember this? Um, not, Anybody who not had canning? a similar Midwestern childhood? You're not talking you, about canning. You, you put you put it in a jar and it becomes liquor. Do you remember this whole oh, phenomena? Sort of countertop so moonshine. Wait, it's a bootleg generation there. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. So that becomes contraband too. So that's what they're looking for uh, along with drugs. And drugs most commonly is fentanyl and heroin and meth, right? Depending. I was trying to see if they're, you know, out here there's, there's been... Um, meth is mostly in the white community, or at least that's it had been traditionally the the drug of choice for uh, white folks. But it seems like in Angola that there's that there are um, heroin and meth deaths. When I was looking through the list, that there are white and black deaths from from those drugs as well. So the drug thing is very specific because it's it's so obvious. Like it might not be obvious. Uh, over a year's time that I have a cell phone, right? Or it might not be obvious that I'm sneaking a little drink of liquor from the bottle or whatever. But what is obvious is that they have a fair number of people who end up in the hospital for drug stuff. And that's apparently been increasing. Um, I've been been looking, it's actually been increasing in other places. Louisiana is not the only place. But it's been increasing at all the prisons and the jails. And Angola has just a steady stream of that kind of stuff happening apparently i couldn't get the the current list of deaths that were drug related from angola but um andrea armstrong and her team which does this uh death list through loyola university um had looked at the deaths you know over at least up until 2021 and and there are a fair amount of drug related deaths so that shows that contraband is active as well. In the story, you wrote that the um, the prevalence of contraband didn't go down during the lockdown, during the pandemic, when visitation was was really limited. So that suggests that it's coming from elsewhere. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So the um, and so all the numbers. Um, stayed steady during the pandemic that the traditional uh, mindset of of administrators at prisons is that the inmates are bringing in contraband through outside sources and that's the inmates that are the the conduit so i mean inmates are are searched um there's a little there are little aisles that they go through to be searched on the way back from the, the visitors shed at angola and um, visitors also are um, have a body scan, and uh, or not really a body scan. I think it's I don't think it's technology. I think it's I think you you go into a round thing and dogs go around you. I think mm. I'm trying to remember how this goes, but it's I don't I think it's um, canine technology, <laughs> not not real technology. So there's been a lot of 
work to to curtail things coming from the outside, but the fact that um, the numbers didn't go down tells us that probably that's that they're coming from you know inside the house, right? As they say in the phone call. Right, maybe. right, right. So, what do officials say about that? Did you have a chance to ask anybody? Well, I asked the question. Mm-hmm. I didn't get it answered, right? No, I right. mean, because it's that it falls under security protocol, so they didn't have any answer to that. You know, Angola is kind of special in that circumstance too, because Angola has um, has um, a whole housing area for people that what they call the free people who live on the land, the, the same prison land. So. It um, it seems like, or you know, there also could be delivery people coming in. To be fair, there could be some kind of relationship with delivery people as well. Well, maybe so, delivery people to the free people to the to the population. Yeah, or else, I mean, you know, I'm trying to think. There, the Angola guys who've been in forever and ever have jobs, you know, so they have prison jobs and some, you know, I remember one guy who worked at, I think he was the print shop forever and ever. Maybe it was in the license plate shop. I can't remember what he, but he had done it so well for so many years that he got a watch from the prison warden as his reward. So like, you know, like, I mean, there's a lot of freedom among people who work on those, those kind of jobs on the prison grounds. And so there, I'm guessing there may be delivering people that come and go too. I don't know how, I don't know enough about that part of it. So, your contact, the the gentleman you interviewed for the story, Abdullah Muhammad, suggested that uh, the increase in strip searches is pretty dramatic compared to. I mean, he's been there for a long time, twenty five years mm-hmm. or so. Thirty. Okay. 30. All right. And now he's the the um, frequency with which these are happening has has gone up. Uh, how is this impacting people like him? And and what is the prison saying about that? Well, so the prison isn't really saying anything. Um, you know, I, once again, there's sort of no comment zone yeah. is where I'm at. But, but hit. Um, I mean, he is um, in his late 50s or mid 50s, and he's been in there for 32 years, I think. He's from New Orleans. People around here know him either as Abdullah Muhammad, which that was his name when he was. Um, he started using that name before he went in, but they also know him as a from childhood in the seventh ward is Kirk Spencer. You know, people, since I've written the story, people are like, oh, I went to Marie Cavon with mm-hmm. him, or, you know, they went to Clark with him. He, they remember seeing him at second lines back in the day. Apparently he has some good steps that way. So he has been trying to hold on to those memories. Sometimes when I talk to him, oh, here he is right here, actually. The speak, speak of him, hold on, hold on. Oh, good. Three calls from Abdullah. An incarcerated individual at the Louisiana State Penitentiary. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. If you believe this should be a private call, please hang up and follow facility instructions to register this number as a private number. Find an inmate's call. Thank you, producing. Curious. You may start the conversation now. Hey, Salam Alaikum. I just, we're just on the phone right now. We're on the Zoom. So I'm, I'm, I, we can hear your voice. You can hear his voice? Yeah. Okay. Um, we're just talking about, about your case, man. About the you had a um about the strip search issues. Uh huh. 
tell me about you filed in did you file a grievance? Yes, I filed uh, administrative remedy proceedings. And and what happened? Have you heard anything? No, they never uh sent that paper saying they accepted. Okay. Can you guys hear him? Yeah. Can you guys hear him? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you so you haven't gotten a paper saying it was accepted yet? No, I didn't receive anything yet. What um and what about Wiley and um some of the other people who filed a um a grievance? Has anything happened with theirs? No, um Wiley hasn't given her anything yet. Um she's been training boxing, you know, he hasn't told me anything that you know he heard about on the field. Okay, but he's back training in the boxing ring? Yes, he's back. Okay. So Trevon Wiley was um was maced when he refused to um the most severe strip search, which was, which raised itself to a level of a body cavity search when, um, when they when they went beyond just having to strip down and squat and cough, to the point where they had to strip down, squat, and then open their cheeks. Mm. And so that's that. Um, Trevon Wiley refused that and was maced. He but he wasn't in your dorm, right, Abdullah? because you can't have a write-up within a year of going to a parole hearing, right? frequency with which these strip searches has bumped up you know there's there's an increase in in strip searches and what what his thoughts are about that how it's impacting his life and what he why he thinks that that's the case Whenever they come to uh, affect someone, they think someone has drugs or any type of contraband, they, they, they 
they know they go directly to the person they're looking for. So they don't normally have this many strip searches or bathroom uh, shakedowns. But it became more personal because security, they feel that, you know, they're going to fuck everybody except them until somebody tell them stuff. They're going to keep destroying everybody's profit to, you know, more people start cooperating to let them know who we have contraband. So it's more of, uh, I'm, I'm going to just you know, do this because I can do it. It's a scare tactic, kind of, to get rats out. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. Can I ask you a question? Like, um, what do you want people, you know, th we're, this is in New Orleans, and Abdul is from the Seventh Ward. So tell me what you want um, people to know about this situation. Like, what can, what, can other, what can a regular person do about this? I want everyone to know that, even though, you know, a lot of guys have been acculturated, some of them are innocent and some of them are killed up the crash. That don't mean that we have to be demoralized in, in, in the prison system. We are still human beings. We need to be treated with dignity and respect. Is the only recourse you have fi of filing a grievance, is that the only avenue for you? Yeah, that's the only avenue. If you file a grievance report, what is the result of that? Well, all they can do is Representing you in that grievance? No matter. I, I Tell us how, how well read it was. Huh? 
story how you talk about when he gets his exercise time he finishes up with a few steps of the second line it's a great story and um, what a what a way to start your tenure at the lens thank you so much thanks thanks for uh, letting me tell the story you're listening to behind the lens i'm carolyn heldman my guests this week are new reporter to the lens katie rectal criminal justice reporter nick crastle and education reporter marta jusen I'm Joshua Rosenberg, environmental reporter at The Lens. At The Lens, we know that you value inquisitive, thoughtful, and rigorous journalism. When you read our stories or listen to this podcast, you join in on the process of examining life and culture in a way that makes us all better citizens and better people. Support the news organization that supports you in your life. Make a tax-deductible donation online today at thelensnola.org. Thank you. Marta, up next in education, New Orleans Public Schools is expanding its warning system. Yeah, it's one of the more um, transparent, one of the things that is available to the public, these like, like warning letters that they issue. So like if they're worried about something at school and they call somebody up and they say, you guys are messing this up, like that's something we'll never find out about, um, you know, generally speaking. Right, right, right. But right. these are like actually time and date stamped and tell us a little bit more about what's going on. Um, and the previous administration had uh, was posting them publicly online. It's unclear if she's going to do that too. But basically any anything with more formal written communication is good for us. <laughs> Okay. All right. Who, who's on, who? Um, I know that I saw the link to the ten schools that are on the level two. Who are those schools? That's probably. Do you have the the main? That's interesting to me. That so there's people that are just waiting on this list. The schools that are just waiting on the on the type two list or the level two list. There's just a handful of schools that are on it for special ed uh, for SPLC lawsuit stuff. Is that the most common like uh, reason to be written up? Is for that. Not necessarily. I mean, it can it can be for anything. It can be finances. It can be for not taking care of your building. It can be uh, problems with testing or how you administer tests or, you know, I feel like maybe a quarter, probably a quarter to half of them are like complaints that are um, born from parents in some way, right? Like parents either complain about 
special ed or something else. And then probably half of them are more administrative. Like when the district really gets rolling on a school that it clearly wants to shut down and starts issuing these all the time. And is is like, oh, you didn't turn this paperwork in on time or, you know, you, you weren't following these procedures. Um, but they they do, I think, give us like some of the clearest insight into what's happening in schools. Marta, why do you think the change now? Um, it's a new superintendent. It's a new, um, you know, it's got it's a new day. I also think it, it sounds like she's wanting to like formalize more of this. Um, this stuff that uh, wasn't necessarily formal before. So we had an instance in 2021 where the school board, a school employee is essentially threatened or indicated they were considering revoking the charter for um, Singleton when that school was having a bunch of problems. Um, and that was only a couple months before the school year was supposed to start. The school took that as a, and said, hey, you've threatened to revoke our charter. Like, this is insane. They got a temporary restraining order and stuff. And then the district was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We never officially did that. We just mentioned it. So I think she's probably trying to avoid a lot of that as well. It definitely would be good for them to have this literally in writing instead of so for- potential formalize, formalize this process to, you know, just making sure that it's goes by the book. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing that's different about these level three warnings, they said, is that they, they couldn't come out of the blue. So right now you can get a level one warning. Uh, you know, for like maybe not filing financial paperwork, turning in your audit late, that kind of thing, or a level two warning. And like Katie said, for kind of more serious special education stuff. Um, but they said that a level three would not be issued out of the blue, but that it would only be an escalation of a level two. So I think that also gives them an opportunity to, you know, kind of differentiate which schools in this level two warning category are actually making progress and which ones are not. Okay. Um, you know, there was one board member, Carlos Zerbegan, who, you know, he's a longtime New Orleanian, has also worked um, in charter schools on charter boards before. And he wanted to make sure that the administration was considering adding a formal appeals process to these warning systems. Um, a lot of times when we're reporting on these warnings, charter schools come back and say that didn't happen that way or this, you know, didn't happen at all. And I think he was really interested in, in seeing that enshrined Um in their process to have an appeals process where a school could respond. And, you know, I will say having reported on these for years, they can get super confusing at times, especially if this, you know, the school is just denying any and all allegations that the district has levied against it. Mm. So I think that would be helpful for all sides. Was there any pushback on that suggestion? Uh, No, they just kind of, they, you know, took it with a grain of salt. They didn't really offer any concrete um, changes at the moment. This is part of a larger, uh, set of proposals that they're putting forward for something called the Charter School Accountability Framework or the CSAF, which is basically the document that governs uh, the relationship between the district and its charter schools. Mm. So they're going to kind of look at these changes throughout the summer and put forward a, you know, a formal proposed change to a lot of different things in August. Okay. All right, Marta. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for your time. Bye. Bye-bye. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Thanks to our guests this week, Katie Rechtal, Nick Krastel, and Marta Jusen. You can read all the week's other news plus opinions at our website, thelensnola.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>